Welcome to Base Talk with Hagen and Hayes. This is Series 2, Episode 2, and today's topic is how to curate a concert program. Good afternoon, Susan. Good morning, David. How are you? Very well, thank you. And how do you curate a concert program? Well, you know, I think this this is a really fun topic because you and I both put together a lot of recital yes. programs for ourselves and for students. Um, and sometimes I just choose music that I really desperately want to play. And it's not necessarily the best way, I think, to get, to to gather a program, except that then I know my excitement for it will be palpable. And then it's a matter of p picking the order, a good order to put the pieces in. Other times I'll have a program where there's really a theme or a concept behind it. Um, a lot of people talk about, you know, weddings. Oh, it's the theme of the wedding. That was not my wedding. My wedding was not like that at all. But my concerts sometimes are. Now, how about you? What do you do? You're right. If there's a theme, that's actually quite easy um, because everything has to fit within the theme. My students have often had to do programs uh, for an exam and they have to have some kind of theme. And often we've done player composers which is quite good because that includes Botticini, Dragonetti, Kuzovitsky, um, Tepo, Hataraho, Simon Gauthier, Tony Osborne. There's so many player composers. So David that, Hayes. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's so nice that it really opens up the possibilities. But, but when I'm putting a programme together, I, I'm always thinking about what starts the programme, what will end the programme, what's this in the middle. And I tend to write a list of all the pieces I'm going to play and then just start moving them, moving them around. And I, I like to get a feel for it. I, some pieces are fantastic to start a program or to end. Some are just in the middle. So they have to sit in the middle. And I, I really enjoy trying to balance the program so it it feels right. And it's interesting, if you, if you move one piece, often you have to move five pieces right. for me to get the balance right. And it's something I, I've always done. I, I've done it from... When I was at the Royal College of Music, when I was a student, I used—I was always the one putting the programs together for our bass quartet. I, I really enjoyed um, searching for repertoire and balancing programs. What about you? Well, one of the things I do is, like you were saying, you make a list. But if I put it on paper, I start crossing it out and moving it around. And then I start, I'm like, oh, wait, let me use numbers so I know what order things go in. So I, I have recently, well, not recently fallen in love with post-its, but I've recently started using post-its for putting a program together um, because it's really easy to peel one off and and move it around um, and not worry about dropping them. Like if it's index cards or pieces of paper, they'll end up on the floor. It's just the way I am. So I love the post-its for this reason. And you're right. If I move one piece, oftentimes I've got to shuffle several others to make mm. it right. But you know, you don't want a whole bunch of slow pieces right next to each other because your audiences start going to get restless. I think um, even if they're the, three or four of the most beautiful slow lyrical pieces you've ever heard in your life. It's just too much of the same at once. Um, and yeah, I tend to think first of my opening piece and then my closing piece. I want it. I want to have really strong bookends, whether they're loud and upbeat and fast and funky, or I love to open with song lines that you've written. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite ways to open a program. Um, it's just beautiful and singing and it lets people really hear the bass at its best, I think. Um, and then if I have guests, a lot of times in my recitals, my dad will join me. And it's a matter of 
Do we bop back and forth? Do I have them come on and off a bunch of times? Do we plunk it in the middle? Do we put it at the end? And I've kind of experimented with a lot of different options, but I have decided I kind of like having him in the middle so that it can be like a <laughs> a dad sandwich with Susan Brett. There's, there's double bass solo on both sides of the program. I think I suggested that to you yes, because you it's, did. it's really nice because you get different sound quality. You have yes. a group of unaccompanied pieces, then suddenly... You have with a uh, guitar accompaniment, which is changes the colors completely. And then you go back to solo bass. And they and can you hear what they heard at the beginning. Yeah, it's always about trying to make it interesting. Yeah. And I and I, I try to do this with my students is, you know, the first piece, if they, they're playing a diploma exam or, or whatever, um, the first piece, is it going to be one that really grabs the examiner by the throat? Or is it the one that comes from nowhere? And yeah. Teppo... Um, Cadenza by Tepahau Taho is one of those good pieces because it starts on open E mm. and it starts from nowhere. So there's silence before you start. Powerful. And that's another, yeah, it's another way of grabbing the audience's attention, which is really nice. I think that's just as powerful as playing a, a big showy piece to right. grab their attention. It's, it's interesting how how different pieces can have the same effect. Oh, absolutely. And I don't always like to start with something that's super upbeat and fast is my first piece. I have this sort of probably old fashioned thought process. I do this with my students too. I like the first piece to be something that's going to grab my audience's attention, but also allow me to settle in, mm. settle into the room, what the, the acoustics are like, or settle into the, oh my gosh, I haven't given a recital in, you know, two months or 20 years or whatever it is. I remember the first recital I gave after graduate school I think it was like 15 or 20 years after after I was out of school yeah. and the idea seemed like such a great concept <laughs> and then <laughs> the day came and everything was fine and then about 10 minutes before I thought what did I just do to myself why am I doing this oh my god why am I doing this and then I thought my first piece is beautiful and absolutely helps me settle in and I was so glad I did that because I got on the stage I started playing and I immediately calmed down and felt really happy and in the moment. But I think sometimes if you start with something that's technically super hard, you know, I, when I was in college, mm. I used to think, get it out of the way, then it's done. But now I think, save that for maybe the second or third piece and get yourself really settled in first. And I had um, last, well, I have a trio at Berkeley, different students than the trio I had last year. And last year I said to them, you have an upbeat, really hard piece. You have a set of, it was a suite of the Tony Osborne party pieces. Mm -hmm. um, really cute, not incredibly hard, but totally peppy and audiences would love it. And, you know, they had a whole bunch of different things. And so finally I said to them, start with the Osborne because mm -hmm. it's adorable. Your mm -hmm. audience will love it. And it's yes. not hard for you. And so you'll settle in. And they loved that idea. It's interesting because we've got the most repertoire we've ever had. Yeah. Um, so your choice of repertoire, I know, is, is fantastic. Far more than when I was, was starting out, when I was, I was graduating from, from college. And it's, it's interesting that um, you can really play whatever style of music you like now. And even in 2023... We're still evangelizing about the bass and how fantastic an instrument it is. So it, honestly, it, it almost doesn't matter what piece you play. They're going to be so astounded. The bass can do anything apart from the elephant, which is, right. is absolutely amazing. We, we had a concert in 
in Norwich a few weeks ago. And uh, and just everybody came up to talk to me and said, I didn't know the bass, you know, it had such a wide range or you could play harmonics or, and I, I think I'd, yeah. I'd played pizzicato pieces and I played arco. I must have played up in, in harmonics and sul ponticello, collegno, mm -hmm. double stops. So I, I introduced a lot of different playing effects as well. And, and I think they're absolutely standard that it has so many different colours. And I think that's what's interesting nowadays is that you can put so many different types of programmes together for whatever audience you're playing to. Yep. You know, it's it's interesting because I've been playing Simone Grethia's Concerto mm. for Amplified Double Bass and String mm. Orchestra. This is, I'm playing in, a, in November. It's going to be my third performance in 12 months. I do it again next April. Yes. Um, what I think is interesting is how do the orchestras program around bass concerto? And, you know, I've done the Bottasini concerto in the past and the Bottasini duo and things like that. And sometimes they make it Italian night. Mm. Um, sometimes I swear they make it like freak show day. One, there was one orchestra that decided to do a piccolo concerto and a double bass concerto in the same concert. And I thought, really? Who wants either of those? <laughs> um, and this one that I'm doing, they decided to make everything Spanish. Right. So, so they have, and it's an adorable program. They've got, you know, Sarasate and all sorts of different Spanish, either Spanish composers or composers writing about Spain. Mm. Um, and so that's really a cute way to do it too. And again, that one is a theme, which mm. is nice. I remember one orchestra decided they wanted to put the double bass concerto on a pops program. Mm. And I thought, well, I know that they're thinking because it was the in their mind, light classical music, not Brahms or Beethoven. But I thought, I don't think it really belongs on a pops program. But I wasn't going to say no, because I still wanted to perform it, perform mm. it. So I went with it. But um, gosh, I remember one of my uh, recitals in grad school, I was doing the entire third Bach cello suite, um, mm. the Bottasini concerto, and a whole bunch of other things. And I think Ed suggested no, I suggested starting with the Bach because it was hard and I wanted to get it out mm. of the way. It's hard and it was long. And he looked at me and said, you should play one short piece first, get settled into the, the room. And I thought, oh, I really just want to play this Bach and get it done. And I think that that stuck with me, though. Always have the first piece be something that you can settle into. And you're right. No matter what you're playing, the audience mm. is going to be impressed by how amazing this instrument that we play is i enjoy working to a theme i, I like programs which have a theme and I, i've done many many concerts and which have things like that and i've, I've done with my students we had one which was in memory of my teacher francis poster so mm. that was a check program and there was there were no ensembles for the young bass players so i wrote slavonic dance number one which was nice and then we did a celebration of Bottasini. And again, there was no Bottasini for beginners or Italian mm. music. So I wrote mm. the Tarantella for the juniors. Oh, and nice. it, it was a really nice nice way of doing it. We did a, a concert for Bert Turetsky's 85th birthday. So I commissioned lots of pieces. And we did, uh, I think, a couple of Bert's quartets. And then I wrote a place in New England, just in harmonics. Oh, yes. For the junior. At that time, I had six in the junior bass ensemble. So I, I wrote it all in harmonics. And it, it was really quite nice to to be able to include the, the junies as well. So I enjoy themed programmes. I, I really yeah. like theme. And we're putting our programmes together for April, which is nice. 
Yes, we are. Um, and it, it's it's centered around Kuzovitsky, but it's also developing. So it's becoming a little bit more about player composers, which I like. Right. I always think that's fascinating because it opens up so much repertoire and so many different styles for an audience. Right. Mm. Right. And I think we have now more than ever i think of course i wasn't alive 100 years ago and i don't know what's been lost but i well i might have some days i feel like i've been alive that long but i feel like there are so many player composers out there right now yeah. and th that opens up so much music that we can play mm -hmm. and it's really fun and it's great because we we you and i personally know a lot of the people that have written the pieces we're exactly. going to play yes oh yeah. i love that it was it's nice to be able to talk to to an audience um about not only about the piece but the composer and certainly if you if you know the composer on a personal basis mm -hmm. it's really nice and if if the piece has been written for you and dedicated to you or you gave the world premiere yes. i think it just adds something a bit more interest to the piece, because when you walk on a stage as a bass player, most of the audience have never heard of a bass. I've never heard a bass before. They've never heard of the repertoire we're going to play. They've never heard of you. And if you can try and make it interesting by the introductions as well as the playing, I, I think you've got them right from the start. Mm -hmm. So I always try and, and put a really nice balanced program together, but also try and and, and hopefully enthuse about all the pieces I'm playing. Yeah. And you know what, that brings up another interesting point, I think, um, talking, speaking mm. to your audience. When I was in school, we were literally taught to, you bow to acknowledge they're there, but you don't make eye contact. You look above their heads to the back <laughs> of the hall and you never speak. And I remember thinking, wow, that just feels so isolated. Like we're all in this room together, but I'm supposed to pretend you're not there. And I'm not sure if it was just the tradition here in Boston or in America, or if it was um, to try to help students not be nervous that there are people in the room, but how would you not notice them because they're clapping and making noise? <laughs> so, you know, I, I never questioned it. I just sort of went with it. And um, I had a trio with my sister and a good friend of ours who's a cellist and we would play concerts and they would talk between the pieces and i remember thinking like you know i could talk <laughs> and i remember one day saying oh can i introduce one of the pieces and they were both like oh no 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 it's fine we don't we don't need you to do that and i thought well i know i'm just sort of like a blundering bass player but it would be good for me to like learn how to speak um and my husband kevin um is a clarinet player and he was in the air force band program and for a lot of their stuff, he was in a clarinet quartet um, mm. or a wind quintet, depending on which stage of his career he was at. And I went to the clarinet quartet, which later turned into a clarinet trio, which mm. actually was quite lovely. Um, as a bass player, I didn't know what, to, mm. what it was going to be like. But they would, the concerts, they would get up and speak. They would talk about, you know, who they were and where they were from, because people love that from the military bands. But then they would always talk about the pieces. And I remember saying to him, the first concert I went to, I said, but you spoke to the audience and he laughed. He said, well, of course we did. What did you think we were going to do? And I said, well, I was trained to ignore them. <laughs> and um, I started thinking, I want to do this. So when I started sort of recitaling again, the past, you know, a few years ago, I would speak a little bit about each piece. And mm -hmm. at first I didn't know the people whose music I was playing. I hadn't met you yet. Mm -hmm. um, I played a piece by Lloyd Goldstein. I hadn't been in touch with him yet. Mm -hmm. All of these people were just 
names mm. on a piece of paper. And so it was, you know, I found this piece in such and such a place and here's what I like about it and that sort of thing. And then I started to get to know the people that are writing the mm. music. Yes. And now I can say, you know, this was written by my dear friend, David Hayes, who's a bass player, a teacher, a composer in England. And, you know, tell a little bit about personal mm. aspects of mm. the people in the audience loves that too. Mm. And, um, one of my friends who's in the Boston Symphony came to one of my recitals and he said, oh, the playing was great. He said, but the thing that blew me away was you can <laughs> speak to your audience. He said, I've never done that. I don't think I could. I think I'd freeze and get nervous. And I thought, yes, you know, when when I first started playing as an extra with the Boston Symphony, when you would bow, everyone was facing the conductor. And then they had this earth shattering idea, the orchestras were starting to do it, to turn towards the audience during the mm. applause. And at first, I think some players were saying, well, but we're not supposed to look at them. You know, and they and and management was saying, yeah, if you interact with the audience a little bit, they might feel more personally connected. Mm. Um, and I think that's true in a recital too. Speak to them, tell them what you love about a piece or how you know the composer. Or if you don't know anything about the composer, that sometimes happens. You'll stumble across a piece and you have no idea who this person is or was and admit it to say it. And someone afterwards will most likely come up to you and say, oh, I know about this composer, let me tell you. And it's great because then you learn too. Um, but I do think that the interaction is really special. I was very impressed that when you said that you've been taught what not to do mm. in a recital. We, I don't think we were taught anything when I look back. Really? I think everything I've done, I've learned. Um, and the things I said about nobody's ever heard of you, heard of the repertoire and bass, yeah. that came from one of my teachers, Bronwyn Nash. Mm. And she was recite, uh, giving recitals when very few other people were. And and she was very eloquent and, and 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 very pretty and and she's always very elegant and she chose nice programs so she was able to break barriers down so I saw how she did it yeah um, and in any group I ever played in there's, there's usually one at least one person who's quite confident to talk to an audience right and then everybody else oh no no you you're much better than us you 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 do it so so I ended up doing it all the time and then you okay. get used to it and then it becomes yeah. very easy. And I, I have to teach my students how to talk to an audience because they're going to have to learn how to do it. You teach and them the Princess Diana way, right? Very much so. Well, you only say two or three words and then stop. Two or three words. You, so you talk in statements, not in sentences. And that way you can't go wrong. And I was doing it the other night and with a student and they were saying, the next piece we would like to play, stop, is, I don't know, something by David Hayes, stop. This is for two double bases, stop. And and if you've got five little bits of information, you can right. say that and you sound like you know what you're talking about. Yes. If you talk, if you say maybe eight words, you can trip over them. Right. Once you get to a certain point, you're confident enough to forget about the statements and talk, talk to an audience. And I enjoy talking to an audience. I enjoy telling them the history of the piece or a little bit about yeah. the bass or, or something like that. Because on the whole, it's all new to them, to most audiences, right, which right. is nice. And I, I think it does break down barriers. I think it's it's a really nice thing to do. But it's important that young young musicians learn how to do it as well. 
It is. And I remember with my Sunshine Trio last year at Berkeley, I was teaching them, you know, the same way you, you teach your students, Yes. just do a few words at a time, because otherwise you do stumble if you're not experienced with it. Once you get experienced like you and I, you can just keep going on and on. Sometimes I worry I'm talking too much at my recitals. Um, but I, it was very cute because I assigned each student. We had several different composers. I think one got to do two or three composers and the others did one or two. And I said, you need to know five facts about each person. And one of them, when they, when they came to David Hayes, the fifth fact was he's really cool. Well, that's nice. And I said, well, that's really good, but can you find something a little bit more like No, about, stick, stick with that one. and, That's that's and the that's one. what she's, the girl said to me, oh no, he's totally cool. Look at his music. I have to put that in. And I said, okay, That's great. nice. Let me write that <laughs> one down. yes, David Hayes is totally <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, that's I love nice. it. That's really nice. Yeah, You remember it worked. when I, I did a masterclass for your students and I asked one of your students about Kuzovitsky? Mm-hmm. And the only thing she could come up with was, was it, he was a bit mad. Yeah, I, I she's think like, that he's crazy. I was like, is that all you know about him? And I'm not sure that he's the most crazy of all of our composers. So really. <laughs> One of my students and... was playing a, a, a study by Edward Nami uh, for, an, audition, uh, for an, um, an assessment at school. And so, again, I, I always used to say, tell me five things about Edward Nami. He was his professor based at the Paris Conservatoire, um, I think the 1930s and 40s. And he, Sean just used to roll his eyes every time I said, tell me five things, like, like any teenager would. And he went in for the assessment And they say, what are you going to play? So I'd like to play a study by Edward Nanny. And the people on the panel said, oh, tell me a little bit about Edward Nanny. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> And when Sean came out, he told me this. And I said, I'm a genius. That's 10 bottles of wine to me. Yes, And I thought, absolutely. yes. And I, but I said that at some point, yeah, you will email me and you will say, thank you so much. Yes. I was playing this piece in a concert and someone came up afterwards and asked me about the composer and I was able to have a conversation with them, not stand there like a, an idiot because I, Right. I knew nothing about the piece. Yeah, Sure. and I think that's part of, of when you're choosing your music for a recital or any sort of concert, I like to choose pieces I like or that I want to learn, but you have to be able to convey more than just the music to your, to your audience. Because like you say, we're still evangelizing about this instrument and just the piece alone may be powerful, but the piece with some information will make it memorable. Exactly. And it's it's so nice. I, I love putting concert programs together. I really, I, and I spend hours and hours because it, it looks so easy that you just put all these pieces together and you've got a first piece and a last piece and you just throw all the others together. But it's not like that at all. I've done this and I, I talk, I've talked many hours with my students about how you do it and why you do it. Um, and it's just like a meal where you have a, A starter and a main course and a dessert. You know, you 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 have to think how it balances balances out. I, I think Yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Um, and sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'll be a couple weeks out from an actual recital and I'll say, you know what? This piece isn't fitting in the program. I now have to get rid of it. And I'll oftentimes add a different piece. And yes, it means maybe I'm rushing to put it together. But when I feel like the flow of a program isn't quite right, if I can't shuffle the order of the pieces to fix it, 
I'll just, I call it nix. I'll just nix a piece from the program. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes my programs are too long. I know that. And so oftentimes I have some wiggle room to get rid of a piece or two if I need to. And so I have a couple that I'm usually like, I'd really like to play this, but if I can't, I'll put it on the next one. And I prepare it as if I'm going to perform it. And sometimes that's the one that stays and it's a different one that, that ends up on the cutting room floor. Um, but I really feel strongly that I get sort of, um, sort of a new age way to describe it, but I get like a vibe that is just not the right fit with a piece. Mm. And sometimes I get that vibe a little late, you know, mm. it's, it's just a couple of weeks before the recital, but I have to go with that gut mm. instinct too. And have you ever got it wrong? Where you've got the wrong program or the wrong pieces? I'd love to say no, I'm always perfect, but oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, you just sort of, grin and bear it and you know that if you could do that again you'd have put that program together a little bit differently um yeah, yeah. how about you have you ever gotten it wrong yeah I, I can remember i can picture it in my mind's eye now as i'm talking and it was <laughs> it was uh wells bass weekend and it was the opening concert and the head of strings had said to me um can it be about 45 minutes that that would be perfect no problem <laughs> about 45 minutes in we're only halfway through the program it was, <laughs> and he was sitting there with his wife and you, you know when somebody doesn't want to be there and yes. they're trying to look as though they do mm -hmm. and everything that they're doing is the exact opposite him and his like they're shuffling and they're moving around oh, and I God. thought oh no we've got another 30 minutes of music still to go I, I, <laughs> I, I think I'd, I'd slightly misjudged that one they were all good pieces i have to say none of them were yeah. Oh, yeah. left out. but with hindsight yeah it was half yeah 45 minutes too long yeah. i think the second recital that i did online during during mm. the covid lockdown was like an hour and 20 minutes and it was supposed to be 50 to 60 minutes and i remember <laughs> looking at the clock going uh oh we're getting to the hour mark do i drop a piece do i play faster what do i do and i thought you know what it's online. People can leave if they don't want to listen to it. It's fine. I worked on this stuff. I prepared it. I miscalculated gravely. Yeah. And now I'm very careful to run a timer when I'm playing through the pieces to make sure that the timing is right. But the first recital that I gave mm. was, I think, 2016 or 2017. It was the first mm. one I had given in, well, I guess it was about 15 years from grad mm. school. And I remember... I was giving the premiere of Martin Wynn's bass con um, mm. sonata. I was doing the Bottasini second concerto and then a mm. whole bunch of smaller pieces. And I remember just sort of like plopping them all on the program, all willy nilly. It was just like completely helter skelter. There was no organization to it whatsoever. And I remember thinking, it felt funny. Like I enjoyed playing, it was great, mm. but there was no rhyme or reason to the order of the program. and afterwards my my parents were there and my mom was like it was something about it that just felt and i said completely unplanned <laughs> and that's when i realized you really need to think it through um yeah. and i like to think i'm pretty good at that now but that first recital back into recital land was whoa <laughs> it was not I, I, organized I still write by hand when i'm writing music i'm still writing by hand yes which I like, and I, I write lists by hand so when mm -hmm. i'm putting a program together i'll do that yeah. and then once i've sort of got a basic feel for for what's going in the program then i'll, I'll go through it and work out how many minutes and i, yes. I just judge them I, I know approximately how long each yeah. piece is yep. and, and i've 
for a long time I've been doing one hour programs right. uh, so it's 7 30 to 8 30 glass of wine and and sort of refreshments after a concert and it works really well and you can put a really nice balanced mix of programs in these these uh pieces in these these programs and it, it's it's I really enjoy um Oh, you, you can balance them. I, I think it's really yes. interesting. The, the one we did the other day in Norfolk, it was, I hadn't sort of really thought it through. And almost every, it felt like every piece was pizzicato. I just mm. hadn't thought this one at all. You know, I, I played <laughs> Soliloquy, it was pizzicato. And then I was playing um, Little Song for Tapo by Catrian Boss with Sarah, with soprano and bass, and that was pizzicato. And then we did my piece, Homage to Tepo, that was pizzicato. Yeah. And I, wee, wee, I, maybe I've got a, a few too many pizzicato pieces here. So I, right. So that's good. So I, I now maybe don't put soliloquy in so many pieces, in so right, many right. programs. Soliloquy right. also sounds good, Arco. Oh, does it? I was practicing it the other day in my office at Berkeley. Right. And um, for anyone who doesn't know it, it's a beautiful piece that David has written, and it's it's pizzicato. And when I practice things that are pizzicato, I like to practice them with the bow, make sure my intonation mm. is where it should be. And so I, I was using my bow, and I actually thought, oh, my gosh, if I'm adding in some slurs here, this is quite lovely, like arco and, too and do you add the the open a as the, the, the open a's left hand pits oh, wow. oh, try that. Thank it you. was stunning and i was i just thought and this is the thing sometimes you you hit a piece and like you had a lot of um pizzicato pieces in one mm. program i remember an initial lineup for one of my programs was all the long pieces were clustered together and all the short pieces were clustered yeah. together i thought yeah. that's not good you've got to distribute it a little bit more mm -hmm so that there's you know something short after a long one so that people don't get it's also interesting of putting a program together when it's just one composer yes we've done that with with tepo we always used to have a the tepo concert tepo hata aho mm -hmm. and um it, it was interesting to try and put a mix together and then what i i did do after after a few people said it's, it sounds a bit the same so, mm. so what i then tried to do was include other finnish music and because <gasps> tepo studied in prague and he knew me, I could put some right. Czech or English music in. Yeah. That way, I think his music sounded even better right. because there was a balance between the different styles. Yes, breaks it up a little bit. Mm. I did an entirely David Hayes program. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was great. But I did love, because you've studied in Prague and you know you knew Teppo so well, you have a lot of different influences. Mm. And so the, I found that the music there... I was able to put things in an order that nothing was the same back to back. Nothing sounded mm -hmm. like, oh, it all had the flavor of David Hayes, but they mm -hmm. were all such variations to to it. It was really lovely. But I can mm -hmm. see that, you know, dropping a few other things that are somehow mm -hmm. related into a program would be nice too. That is another way of doing it because one composer is is – it's quite difficult. It depends how varied the the, the music is you write, and I, right. I I hope that I've written enough range uh, across oh, the yeah. pieces that you Definitely. can put. Together. I'm just writing some little one minute pieces, uh, forty nice. one minute pieces for our fortieth birthday of my publishing company, Recital Music, right. and the idea with that one is you can play them singly or in a group in any order, or nice. you can play all forty together as a forty That's minute fun. piece. So That's I, I really I've, fun. I think I've written for, and these are quite atonal. This is, I, I don't know why these are atonal, but this this is how they're coming it's different out. Different for you. Yeah, and I'm enjoying. That's the, fun. The, 
different styles. It's it's interesting. And each one is named after a moon. Um, I ah. think there's something like 280 different moons. Okay. Um, so I, I've got enough range there to to uh, to keep me going for all 40. That sounds like a fun program for me to put together at school with my students. What, what the nice thing about that, yeah, you could quite easily have, um, if you have five students, you got eight pieces each. Right? Yeah. 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 Oh, see, I, we just curated another program. Thank you, Reverend. <laughs> so I, <laughs> this is great. I love this. This curating a program, there's more, I think, that goes into it than than you initially realized. But then it, it, I don't think it's brain surgery or rocket science. I think that, you know, your your instincts as a musician kick in. Um, but I think it's it's a really fun, it's a fun part of the concert preparation i think I, I think it's interesting I th and it's something we have to learn to do yes because a lot of the time we're putting programs together for our own concerts if, if you're playing an orchestra you just turn up the program has already been put together but yeah. if you're uh, organizing your own concerts or workshops or whatever it's a skill you have to acquire and it's yes. very easy to acquire and hopefully very easy to to really enjoy doing right absolutely i agree well Thank you everyone for listening. I think this is such a fun subject and maybe we'll talk more on it another time. Um, but thank you for joining us for season two of Base Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Like and subscribe so you get notifications every time a new podcast is released. And thank you to our sponsors, Grace Gallery, and to Leatherwood Rosin, who has put out a whole new line of, of really great base rosins. Um, so thank you, everybody. I hope you stay well, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.